Hello, I'm Emily Hawthorne, a Middle East and North Africa analyst at Stratfor, a RAIN company. This podcast is brought to you by Stratfor Worldview, RAIN's premier digital publication for objective geopolitical intelligence and analyses. Sign up for the free Stratfor newsletter at worldview.stratfor.com. The region is beholden not to the Brussels and Washington, but to the regional players who have been there historically. Russia, Turkey, and then to a distant third would be Iran. Welcome to Baker's Dozen, a podcast series of conversations about geopolitics from Stratfor, a rain company. I'm your host, Roger Baker. Last year's conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan drew in Russian and Turkish direct involvement and ended with an apparent loss for the Russian-backed Armenia. Yet we also see the opening of new and expanded trade routes through the Caucasus region, including rail lines connecting Turkey and Russia and links from Central Asia and China into Europe. The Caucasus are a focal point of regional dynamics. And to look at Georgia's place in the region and to look at this broader regional dynamic, I'm joined today by Lasha Kazradze, a graduate of the Fletcher School of Foreign Diplomacy, who focuses on Eurasia, Russia, and the South Caucasus. Lasha, thank you for joining me today. Glad to be with you, Roger. When we spoke before last November, of course, we were coming to the end of the uh, conflict or the, the latest conflict between Azerbaijan and Armenia. Um, and of course, we were talking a little bit about that involvement of, of outside powers there. What was different this time or what differences did you see in the way in which this conflict played out and resolved? So I think if we focus on the um, regional developments um, in the past few years, uh, let me just um, um, go back slightly and very briefly. Um, three major developments took place. Um, this was the 2008 uh, Russo-Georgian War, 2014 uh, invasion of Ukraine, uh, and then this latest uh, escalation and then conflict between Azerbaijan and Armenia. Um, these three events um, are, in my opinion, a clear indication uh, that conflict uh, and uh, affairs uh, in that region are becoming uh, transforming um, and taking shape as regional affairs more and more. In terms of changing dynamics with what happened, uh, this conflict, um, as observers and international relations uh, experts and scholars know, um, has been in the pipeline now for since the early 1990s, as of the breakup of the Soviet Union. Um, so such uh, outbreaks, uh, and by the way, even after the agreement that was reached uh, with this latest conflict between with with Russia's medita- mediation and and Turkish uh, Turkish mediation, it is still far from being over. So I think observers of the region will have to expect uh, that a this is not going to be a final uh, a solution for this conflict, and more will come. When you talk about this becoming more of a regional conflict, I, I think. You know, some of that is probably in relation to the idea that during that post-Soviet moment, during the unipolar moment, there was a rapid expansion uh, of 
the European Union, a rapid expansion of NATO, or at least of their intent and ideals and where they were going. And there was this idea that they were pushing deep into what was former Soviet spheres, not just through the bloc countries, but directly into parts of the former Soviet Union. And there was a lot of thought and excitement around that um, and anticipation. And then we had seen Russia start to reassert itself after a, a, a period of demise and decline. In 2008, of course, there was that combination of coming close to uh, economic and financial crises in the West, and then this crisis in uh, Georgia, and this sense that the West didn't necessarily come in and play the role of protector that we had seen before. Is that the trend that you're saying is, is accelerating now? Uh, yes, Roger. I'm, uh, I completely agree with your assessment. Uh, what happened originally in the past few years and past few months is, a, is part of this larger trend of where this sort of Atlanticism is going. Um, is it increasing? Is it being reduced? Is it retrieving and retrenching? Because we all remember that prior to 2008, there was this aggressive promotion of de democracy around the world from Washington. That era, I can safely say for now, is over. And we see that um, the, the results of that being localized in this particular case, in the South Caucasus. As an example, the South Caucasus, sort of symbolically even, if not in actual practical, realistic terms, has demonstrated that the region is beholden not to the diktats of the Brussels and Washington at the end of the day, but to the regional players who have been there historically. Russia, number one, Turkey, number two, and then to a distant third would be Iran. And so small countries like Georgia within the region, even though it's one of them considered to be one of the major countries in the, in the concert of three uh, South Caucasian republics, Armenia, Azerbaijan, and Georgia, have really little to no say in terms of figuring out where they stand both regionally and globally. And so inadvertently, they... In this case, say, for example, Georgia or Armenia, uh, they're beholden to regional players. They're beholden to regional politics, regional geo geopolitics, and regional interests. Um, and, and the proof of that, once again, uh, is, this, is this shattering of this myth, if you will, of democratic peace theory that was aggressively promoted from Washington prior to 2008, which really financially and in terms of political legitimacy did a lot to help, say, Georgia or, or to enlighten, so to speak, the region. But in practical terms, in geopolitical terms, the region remains conflict-ridden and divided. And so this democracy penetration or geostrategic sort of excavation with which Washington and, and, and Brussels have been occupied in the past several years hasn't really found anything substantial that they could really bring out of this depths of this ground and use it to turn it into a flourishing region, right? And the fundamental reason for that is that there are serious powers, historic powers in the region that are willing to 
disrupt that process for their own geopolitical and strategic national security reasons. Russia, uh, first and foremost, and then Turkey. So Russia has obviously been the strongest influential power there since the end of the Cold War. Uh, But Turkey's role more recently seems to be expanding. And we're seeing this all around Turkey. Turkey is pushed into Syria, where they at times run afoul of Russia, at times work in collaboration with Russia. They had this run into the Azerbaijan-Armenia conflict, where they sat on the opposite side of the border from uh, Russia. We see the Turks, though, also uh, increasing trade with Russia and buying Russian S-400s, putting them at odds with the Americans and the Europeans. It seems that one of the differences that we're seeing today is this emergence of Turkey trying out its role as a middle power, increasing its reach um, within the region and and reaching out to each of the countries. Uh, Turkey certainly has uh, relations with Georgia as well. How does Turkey's role uh, being more active potentially alter the options for the countries in the South Caucasus? Well, Turkey in and of itself, um, as you said, as a, as a middle power, um, is also trying, has been trying to figure itself out in terms of geopolitical stance and direction. Uh, there is Eastern Turkey, there is Western Turkey, and it sort of has been oscillating, has been questioning its future path. Is it ultimately a European uh, European country? Is it an Asian Eastern country? And so that has been creating a certain uh, geostrategic culture within Turkey that has been affected uh, finding answers to, the, to, those, to those questions. That being said, as a middle power, Turkey has plenty of influence. It has gathered plenty of influence from uh, trying to be neutral in the region uh, to actually taking concrete steps um, to... Uh, find itself in the region as a uh, as a pi- as a power that uh, will have to be reckoned with. In terms of its relationship with regional powers, I would just uh, go back to the Russian example. Turkey has a, a, a is dealing with Syria. Turkey is dealing with the Kurdish problem. Russia and Turkey in that region uh, are on the opposite ends of meeting their respective interests. Turkey sees this emboldening of its foreign policy in the region as a potential check, or at the very least as a, as a pushback against Russia's um, unfettered behavior um, in Syria and uh, in implementing um, some of the policies that Ankara could see as detrimental uh, to its interests in the region. So, so that's Turkey's position as it tries to both balance Russia in Syria and uh, in its um, uh, domestic politics vis-a-vis, say, its problems with Kurds. In terms of outside uh, the region, uh, aside from Russia, Turkish position uh, in defending Azerbaijan um, also shows Russia uh, that um, Turkey is not only back in the region, uh, but is also protecting its own uh, socio-cultural, is willing to protect its own socio-cultural views of where it belongs ethnically. And so, so that, that component plays um, uh, uh, an important part in Turkey's drive uh, to be a geopolitical player in the region, vis-a-vis Azerbaijan. In terms of Georgia or Armenia, 
everyone knows Turkish relations with Armenia um, and its um, uh, fraught history with Armenia. And so that, that relationship between Turkey and Armenia has also sort of shown Russia that Turkey is willing to implement its own interests, back uh, Armenia's uh, enemy, uh, Azerbaijan, regardless of what Moscow might think and regardless of what Armenia might think. In terms of Turkey-Georgian relationship, um, it's, a, it's a transactional relationship. Uh, there is, uh, without going into details of domestic sort of strategic culture that has uh, driven uh, in the past, going back centuries, in modern relationship between Turkey and Georgia, it's a transactional trade-based relationship. Turkey fully supports Georgia's sovereignty and territorial integrity, but to what extent that support, uh, and not to mention the energy routes coming out of uh, Caspian Sea, um, through Georgia, Turkey, and then Europe, but to what extent that actually gives Turkey power to balance Russia when push comes to shove is another question. That question is not, you know, it, it, the question doesn't have a final answer. Uh, but uh, in terms of daily transactional relationships, um, this relationship uh, I would say is strong with Turkey. Hold that thought a moment. We'll be right back. Stratfor Worldview is Rain's premier geopolitical publication and a go-to source for diplomats, businesses, professionals, and individuals around the world. The real-time challenges of living in an increasingly interconnected world have rarely been on display as clearly as they have over the past year. Together, Stratfor and Rain provide tools and intelligence to help you efficiently stay ahead of emerging risks, identify opportunities, and get a more complete view of the world. If you like what you heard today and would like to know more about Stratfor Worldview, consider signing up for our free newsletter. You can find details at worldview.stratfor.com. That's worldview.stratfor.com. Now, let's get back to the interview. Well, one of the things that we're seeing as we watch this, the the Turkish action seemed seemed pretty bold, and we're seeing that across the board for Turkey. But some of that may be a reflection of a shift in the structure of the world system. You know, as we as you mentioned at the beginning, during that unipolar hegemonic moment, there was the perception that that Western European United States dynamic would just sweep through the region. Then there was a bit of a pullback. And now what we see is the world moving into this multipolar structure. It's not a bipolar Cold War structure. It's not a unipolar moment. And in that multipolarity, there's a lot more room for these middle powers to be able to assert their interests regionally. They have more options for working with multiple sides of larger powers. So again, this Turkey straddling the United States and Russia and Europe and even China uh, at the same time. Um, and that greater role for these middle powers seems to be a trend that we're going to see going forward. For the smaller powers then, do, do you think that that gives them a greater set of options or does it potentially put them in an even more risky position because rather than finding themselves as the uh, pivot point between great powers, they're now caught up in a lot more regional dynamics, which often can be more contentious uh, and less uh, well thought out or less contained. Right. Well, with the rise of multipolarity, uh, the signs of which we uh, obviously see in today's international system, 
I think for small countries, uh, countries that whose sovereignty uh, is not intact, um, Ukraine, Georgia, Moldova, you can either be major powers, say, for example, the United States, the superpower, can hold your hand and guide you through the forest, or it can tell you to find your own way in the forest. In either of these scenarios, Georgia has not been able to come out on the other side of that forest. It's being told there is the light at the end of the tunnel, but we, it still has not been able to see that light. So with the rise of multipolarity, there is a sense, there is this perception that there is a freedom of maneuver uh, for a country like Georgia uh, regionally, uh, that it can play a quote-unquote a more pragmatic role uh, in the region, uh, be nice to Russia, be nice to the West, particularly to the to Washington and 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 Brussels, maintain its pro-Western. Um, foreign policy, while at the same time uh, figure out a way to, uh, to uh, balance your relations with, um, with your northern neighbor. Uh, now, to a certain extent, one could argue that that choice was very much limited uh, previously, say, before 2008, when this sort of unipolar uh, you know, democracy promotion agenda uh, was at its highest, that Georgia, um, you know, and Ukraine, and we saw this in 2014, um, had to support their Western orientation very loudly, very blatantly, to the point where one could argue it antagonized Russia. So to answer your question, uh, there is a flexibility, yes, uh, with the rise of multipolar world, this is sort of this self-survival instinct instinct kicks in, the psychological dependency uh, that was sort of um, uh, presented to these countries when, uh, say, under the George W. Bush administration, for example, when, when, when the democracy promotion freedom agenda was at its highest, um, has dissipated um, and it no, it's no longer there. Uh, so therefore, uh, when the reality uh, hits you in the face, you have to figure out somehow how to survive. And so I think those are the dynamics now that these small countries are dealing with. I would say that they are nowhere near to either affecting regional dynamics, let alone being in charge of those dynamics. And as small countries, they still continue to be beholden uh, to the interests of major powers, except in this case, regional powers uh, are much more monopolistic uh, in their export of power and distribution of power in the region. And so Georgia, Ukraine, Moldova, countries that have traditionally been trying to join the West will really have to now, more so than ever, I think, heed to the interest of regional powers such as Russia. If we bring this back down then to, to Georgia to wrap us back up, what are the lessons that we're seeing in Georgia's management of its regional relations, of the medium and large powers around it, and even if it's distant relations with other powers like the United States, like China, like Europe, are there lessons or examples from the Georgia case that we could be looking for to see in other small countries or countries that are finding themselves caught in these regional dynamics and caught between 
both local and distant larger powers? Uh, yes, um, the answer to your question would be yes. There is a the small countries um, and especially the events that transpired uh, in the past few years in the South Caucasus um, do provide certain lessons. Uh, one of the major um, lessons uh, is to realize that uh, when you are a country with a foreign power occupying your territory and with its troops on your territory. Um, speaking of joining NATO is out of the question. The rest was a politically concocted sort of theory, uh, sort of uh, political legitimacy, if you will, that was being created to convert the usual thinking towards these regions, towards the South Caucasus in the West, towards more pro-Western-oriented sort of a geopolitical space, which is going to be, if it's not now, at some point in the future, ready to join the West. In other words, there was an excavation, it's still continuing, of geostrategic sort of pivot point where the West can grab on and say, now they are ready to join the West. Well, that now part does not seem to be any closer than when it was when this whole conversation started. But but the idea behind it, in my opinion, was to at least give it some sort of a global legitimacy that someday in the future we can prepare this region to join the West. Uh, and so for a small country like Georgia, and even though Ukraine is incomparably bigger uh, than Georgia, it is still a small country in terms of international relations and power projection, uh, for for countries like Ukraine and Georgia, they represent the uh, scapegoats of larger political geostrategic interests of, of major powers. And if those geopolitical interests pan out, say, for the U.S., so much better. If not, it's not a tragedy. And I think this is the part that Georgia, Ukraine, and Moldova, I think, are failing time and time again to understand this is not something that is necessarily going to be so, that the West is either going to lose uh, or win against Russia or any other uh, sort of a hostile power if decides to step back from the region for certain specific reasons. This is not a sort of a, a, an absolutist game, whether we have to get Georgia into NATO, otherwise we will lose. It is, let's see what we can do. Let's see what Georgia can do. Let's see if we can export democracy and turn this region into a pro-Western geostrategic space. If so happens, great. If not, well, then life goes on. These are the kind of lessons that observers of the region should sort of uh, bring up to the surface Meaning, yes, it would be great uh, to turn this region into a, into a whole space, into an entire sort of a single space of pro-Western interests, but there are some serious geopolitical security and vital national security concerns that, say, Russia has that has managed successfully to prevent those Western interests from materializing. Um, so underneath all that democracy promotion or multilateralism or unilateralism, there is something that is on the fundamental level that is not uh, compatible with 
with realistic expectations and realistic um, sort of with the, with the rhetoric that is trying to portray a picture that is somehow vaguely is portraying this picture that these countries will join the West. But nobody seems to be asking on a fundamental level how. And I think these three events, 2008, 2014, and then the last uh, Nagorno-Karabakh conflict, to a, to a large extent, provide an answer to that fundamental question. So, so if we were to wrap it up, I would say in misappropriating the words of uh, Halford McKinder and take a geopolitical perspective on this, what we see very clearly here is that clash between democratic ideals and the underlying reality. That is absolutely correct. The Eurasian landmass is a geopolitical uh, epicenter uh, of things to follow. And then there is idealist sort of backlash against it, saying democracy is good, human rights is good, NATO is good, the European Union is good. Well, going back to Mackinder, there is whoever controls that Eurasian continent controls the affairs of the world to a certain extent and to a large extent. That is true. And Russia is certainly not going to uh, let that go, either conceptually, uh, philosophically, or in practical terms. Thank you. We've been speaking today with Lasha Kazradze, international relations analyst who focuses on Russia and the South Caucasus. And I want to thank you for your time today, Lasha. Thank you very much, Roger. It's been a pleasure. You can stay up to date on the latest geopolitical developments by signing up for our free newsletter. Visit worldview.stratfor.com. That's worldview.stratfor.com. I'm Roger Baker. Thank you for listening.